Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of We, Us, and Ours. We are so excited that you are here with us today and for our very special guest, Megan Keene. Megan is someone who I really look up to and admire. She is such an incredible powerhouse of a woman who has had such a such a strong impact in the film and creative sphere and now all that she has been doing at Adobe. It just really inspires and encourages me and we are so excited to have this conversation with her today and I know that you will absolutely walk away from it encouraged and inspired as well. Welcome, Megan. We are so happy to have you here. How are you? Thank you so much. I'm good. I'm good. You know, summer's here. Loving things are opening up a bit, a bit, a bit in California, which is really exciting. We're in July. Like, really, where has it's, this year gone? It's crazy. <laughs> it's absurd. But I'm glad we're we're entering into summer. It's going to be great. Let's dive right into who you are, where you are, what you do. Would love to learn more. Yeah, so I am based in the San Francisco Bay Area in Marin County, which is just north of the Golden Gate Bridge um, in a little town called Fairfax. Um, Fun fact, it's actually where I was born and raised, although I moved away for many years and had a lot of life adventures and um, spent 10 years in L.A. uh, working in feature film. Uh, specifically documentary features, um, but also did some sort of commercial work to pay the bills, um, which was awesome because it took me all over the world and I love to travel. Um, And then I ended up back in the Bay Area, just sort of happenstance um, for work. And when I went to buy a house, I just was making offers all over the place, really wanted to buy in Oakland and ended up the house that I ended up getting was in my hometown, like less than a mile from the house I grew up in. It's funny too, when you move back to your hometown, you run into people and they're like, oh, you're still here. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I have a, had a whole life. <laughs> yes. You're like, no, I did leave. I did do all this stuff. I just came back. Yeah. And not that there's anything wrong with staying in your hometown or, you know, being, being close to home, but yeah. Yes. No, I 100% get you that, uh, with the bopping around and like, for me, everyone knows me as Charlotte from Chicago. Chicago will always be home, but I don't have to live there right now. You know, I could raise a family kids there one day, but for now I'm bopping around and, and I love that, but that's so, that's so fun. I, I just was in LA last week, so I got oh, to wow. enjoy a little bit of time there. And it's always fun driving by all the studios. I was staying in Culver City, so it's beautiful just getting to see all of that. And that makes me more curious about your work with documentaries. Like, can you tell me what kind of got you into that? How and did you go to school for this? Like, what brought you there? Yeah, so I um, it it's a funny like sort of long winded story a little bit, but when I was in high school. Um, I was 17 and I did a program called, um, Amigos de las Americas, which is like a, it's like a 10 month prep program during high school. And then you spend eight weeks sort of, um, working as a health volunteer in, um, central or South American country. Um, I ended up going to the Dominican Republic. I lived in a town, a village that was, um, very close to the border of Haiti. Um, 
dirt floors, no running water, no electricity, and just had this really, really transformative year, or excuse me, uh, summer. And when I got back, all of the people that I knew from high school were saying like, oh, how was Mexico? And I was like, oh my God, like, are you kidding me? Like, yeah. and what I started to realize is by showing pictures and showing like the, the experience that I had through photographs, that it really um, helped to broaden people's understanding of the world and broaden, you know, their their understanding of the experience that I had had. And so when I went into to, uh, college, I studied at UCLA and I was in a program called um, World Arts and Cultures. And again, I studied abroad in Spain and felt like the best way for me to tell stories of travels all over Europe and was through photographs. and. As I uh, continued my education at UCLA, I, I took a video production class. And part of my graduation from this program of World Arts and Cultures was to do sort of a thesis presentation. And so I made my first sort of documentary, like I chose to present it through video. Um, and when I graduated, my mentor at the time said, you know, when you apply to film school, like I'll write you a glowing letter of recommendation. And I was like, oh, huh, like film school, that's an interesting idea. And so it was sort of this evolution of like pictures and video. And I feel like at that time, I'm I'm old. So at that time, video wasn't as accessible. It was really, really expensive. And so my first foray was really about photographs and then that evolved into video. Um, and so I did, I went to USC for film school um, and studied USC has a program that's very sort of holistic. So you study cinematography, you study editing, you study directing, you study producing. And I loved the editing process. I just loved that I could lose hours, days of time, like not even realizing that I was like editing and I would look up and be like, oh my gosh, like it got dark. And like what happened? <laughs> um, but just building stories and um, so yeah, so I worked for about 10 years in feature documentaries um, and I got to travel all over the place. I got to see and experience a lot of really cool, interesting things. Um, I loved the aspect of it that you could kind of find yourself as part of a community that you have no connection to other that you just start listening and wanting to hear their stories. And um, it's interesting because I look back now and I'm like, man, if the world were then how it is now in terms of the accessibility of, of video and platforms um, like YouTube to just start producing and make, you know, tell stories and put them out there. I feel like my trajectory would have been a lot different because ultimately I got out of documentary because it was so hard to sort of find audience and mm -hmm. make a living and, you know, tell stories in a way that you could make an effect without having to get into a film festival or, you know. Yeah, or be in like in the peak of Hollywood and have multiple exactly. millions of dollar budget. Like it's it's so very different. But that's that's amazing. I love that it was not necessarily just a hobby for you, but it was just something that you fell in love with. And then you kind of realized, oh wait, this is something I could actually make a career out of, which is really cool. And I've been having that conversation with a lot of people recently, especially with the pandemic. It's shaken up so many people's careers and people are like, well, truly nothing is stable. So what's holding me in this nine to five job that I'm 
not passionate about. And yeah, there's a paycheck to it, but what's the the opportunity cost of then me going and pursuing this thing that actually really excites me. And so I think it's, it's really cool and inspiring getting to hear stories like that of, you know, like, yeah, this just kind of was something I was passionate about. And then things started falling into place about you being able to make it your career. Yeah. It's, I, I feel like if I think about the root of what motivated me was really this intent to connect, like connect with people, connect like understanding of the world connects, you know, uh, different life experiences and cultures and really like find a platform that could help people better understand each other. And I think that that's what's so exciting about how much video is exploding right now. And in a, and in a space that is very focused on communities, right? Like it's so interesting to see how, like YouTube as a platform has helped people who are just like, Oh, I have this like weird interest that I'm super into and probably nobody else is. Maybe I'll make a video about it. And then all of a sudden you find like, Nope, not that weird. Like So many other people are into it. And that it's like connecting people from all over the world and uh, you know, different spaces and socioeconomic uh, brackets. And, you know, I, I don't know, it just is really exciting to sort of see how it's evolving. Absolutely. I love that. And that's one of the core beliefs with this podcast is really to show that we're all more the same than we are different. It doesn't matter what age passport you hold, where like where you're from, your demographic, that we all have commonalities and we can all find something to relate to in everyone. And my degree was in international business. So this is something that's been like a real big passion of mine too. And as I've been growing my brand, Charlotte from Chicago, that's been at the core of it. So I really love getting to hear that story from, from other people and see how you've done it. And I'd love to hear what are some of the documentaries that you've worked on or what kind of topics and any ones that were in particular your favorite or have a soft spot? Yeah, so <clears throat> I've worked I worked on documentaries that sort of ran the gamut. Um, I worked on a documentary about a, a cult in South Carolina. I worked on a documentary um, about a program in Connecticut where the entire uh, town's first responder ambulance system is completely staffed and run by high school students. Um, I, you know, worked on, I, I did a lot of research and development stuff for documentary too. So I got to go to Jamaica and learn about sort of the, the history of, um, reggae music and, um, probably one of the most notable documentaries that I worked on, um, was a film called We Live in Public that was, um, a grand jury winner at Sundance um, in 2008, I want to say. Um, and that was uh, basically looking, I mean, like the underlying story was really looking at the effects of the internet and technology on interpersonal relationships mm -hmm. and how, you know, what sort of asking the question of like, what will happen? What happens if we get too absorbed in the screen and detach from actual inter? interaction IRL. Um, and it was a really interesting, I mean, like I said, it played at Sundance in 2008, 2009, um, which was really early, right? It was like, that wasn't, that was yeah. before all of the, like, you know, everybody had a webcam and everybody was sort of putting their lives out online, but we had this story that was about 
this early internet entrepreneur who were sort of forecasting that, like saying like this, I foresee that this is going to start happening. Um, and as we were making the documentary, that started to unfold. It was with a, a, a documentary director named Andy Timoner, um, who I worked with for a number of years and is really super visionary and, and wonderful. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a really transformative project to work on because it was almost like you were working on history as it was happening. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. like we were like telling these stories of of things that were occurring right under our noses as they were occurring, but also looking at sort of the history that that built up to that to that reality. Yeah, that's crazy because the first thing that I thought of when you were talking about that was just then uh, foreshadowing how like cyberbullying has become such a big thing because it's so easy to say negative things to someone when it doesn't feel like they're a real person. But then totally. also it's just the loss of tr uh, translation in verbal versus written words, you know? And so you get that with social media too. If someone could say... Um, seriously and that can be like oh my gosh seriously or mm, seriously and totally. it's it's just little things like that so as we have gotten more deep into to, to technology it's so interesting to hear way back when of what that would be I don't know I just think it would be so interesting to have people in that documentary look back at that now and say oh how accurate was that to what we predicted and how we thought the world was going to be Totally, because there that was already happening at, at the time we were producing the documentary. A lot of the footage was even shot in like 2001, the turn of the millennium. Like they were looking back at footage from then and thinking like, whoa, this is already coming to fruition and such a reality. And it's interesting from my perspective, because I'm a mom. I have two little boys that are three, three and five. And th there's a lot of consideration of like the reality of you know, social media and how do you sort of help your children or protect your children and screen time and all of these questions um, that everything's evolving so quickly. It's hard to really know, but I do think it's an important process to sort of look back and think like, where are we going? Where did we come from? Like, how do we, to your point, like, how do we leverage these tools that we have for good and to really bring mm -hmm. us together and create more community versus you know, leaning into the trolls and, and getting brought down by the, the bullies and, and really try to focus on how do we use this community for good versus evil, I guess. Seems like yeah, no, thing, absolutely. <laughs> and I think also it's just finding that gray area of things because as like what you just talked on of being a parent and saying like, okay, how do I do this dance of not keeping my kids in the, the stone age, but not letting them just have free reign with things like that. And way back when, when I was in high school, it's always, oh, well, making friends on the internet, like they're strange. Like it's, it was so bad and shamed. Whereas some of my best friends in the world now are people that I got connected to on social media. And then later we met in real life. and it's, it was always that kind of blanket statement of like, oh, well, that was really, that's really weird for you to make friends with people online. And back in high school in 2011, 2012, I had moved to Minneapolis and I had a really quick move. I had 18 days from the day I was told Whoa. to the day I was up there. And I moved to a very wealthy town that 
if you weren't from there, they didn't really like you. And I'm a huge extrovert. I can make friends with like a brick wall. So the fact that I couldn't make friends there was really hard. And so my father was traveling a lot for work. So I just went to Twitter and that was a time in my life where I was really deep into WWE wrestling, oddly enough. So I made so many friends in the WWE wrestling Twitter community, which is just so funny on paper, but like, I'm still connected to a lot of them and people that were into travel. And so I've, I have some really great friends that I've met on the internet and I had friends back or like acquaintances, friends back in high school or people in Chicago. They're like, Charlotte, you're going to get murdered one day. Like these people, they're probably catfish or this. And it's just, it's so interesting now looking back and seeing people be like, Oh yeah. Online dating. They're like, Oh, I'm totally. I was going to say online. Da- I mean, think about, like online dating and like finding friendship and community online. Like think about the last year, like where would people have been if there wasn't that outlet? You know, I I mean, I have a family and I was surrounded by family for the last, you know, year and a half, but a lot of people didn't have that and, and having an online space where they could connect with people or date virtually, you know, via video conference or, any of that I'm sure was a, a lifesaver for a lot of people, both, you know, mentally, emotionally, um, that like, thank God for that. You know, you yeah. know, like as much as it, it's interesting. Cause I feel like, especially in, um, a lot of the, the work that I do at Adobe, we're, we're thinking about trends and, you know, the way things are moving and going. And I feel like <clears throat> in the real world, the pandemic in a lot of ways just sort of accelerated things that were already happening, you know, mm-hmm. really sort of accentuated trends that were already sort of slowly starting to happen, but things like, you know, online dating and finding online community and, and all of this, uh, I think just was sort of <laughs> like the, the gas pedal was hit with the pandemic, but thank God that it was there in the first place. Right. Like, absolutely. I, I had some friends from college, so I'm three years out of college and I still have like a really close network. And so some of my friends are still in school or like just graduated and we started this big happy hour. And so it was a weekly, like Thursday happy hour. And we'd have some people that we all went to college together. We were all in the entrepreneurship club, but then they would bring in some of their friends that were either their coworkers or friends from home. And so then we just had this network of people that we were just hanging out on Thursdays and we would talk about life or we would talk about the, we talk about work and some things were really deep. Some, some things were really casual. And so I, I will proudly say that I've been doing this as a trendsetter since probably 2010, 2011, I have been having Skype movie night with friends. And so now Zoom's the way to do it. And Netflix does like the watching parties, but I've lived all over that. I started doing like, we would Skype and we would have the TV and start the movie at the exact same time. And so sometimes just enjoying quality time of we're not even talking, we're watching the same thing, but we're watching it together. I did that through the pandemic and I've been doing that the last decade with people. So it's just, it's that really comforting and connecting thing that technology allows us to do. Absolutely. Yeah, that's cool. I love it. And so you touched on a little bit with Adobe. I would love to dive more into, so that's currently what you're doing, like you're with Adobe, but what is it that you do for Adobe and how long have you been with them? 
Yeah. So I <clears throat> have worked at Adobe for nine and a half years. Wow. Um, I am principal product marketing manager for Pro Video, which means I sort of lead um, development of our strategy, sort of how both from a from a marketing standpoint, like you know what what is our is our core message? What you know how are we going out into the world as Adobe from a video standpoint? Um, but I also work really closely with our as a core functional lead on our product team for Premiere Pro. So what that means is I work alongside product managers, engineering, design to really look at Premiere Pro and say, how are we driving this product forward? What are we prioritizing? Where do we need to focus our energy? Um, and a lot of that comes from conversations with uh, our users, um, you know, engaging with um, the communities of people that use Premiere Pro, and also looking at, as I was mentioning earlier, trends. You know, where is the industry going? What do we need to prioritize in terms of answering sort of what we see as the future of video and creativity? Um, and yeah, so that's sort of high level what I do. My favorite part of what I do is that I get to, you know, engage with users, filmmakers, storytellers. Um, and that's my favorite part, considering where I came from, because I really get to like stay connected to the filmmaking industry, the creative industries, and and have a hand in sort of making decisions that are going to drive the future of how, you know, video and storytelling is able to happen, um, which is super fun. <laughs> yeah. I think what really excites me about that and just hearing on a more deep level of what it is that you do is that you you have that seat at the table so you can have those conversations with those high-end people, but you still have such a connection, both personality-wise and just your own personal experiences to know what it's like on the other side, that you know what it's like being a filmmaker and starting out and saying like, okay, well, how how can I do X, Y, Z? And since you you have that background and you have that experience now that you get to be that bridge that connects little baby Megans and baby Charlottes that are like starting off to say like, yeah, this is, this is what we need. And I feel like a lot of really big companies don't do that super well. They don't stay super connected to their, their people and hear pain points. And it's just kind of, Oh, that big, bad corporation. And then the people here and you're like, there's such a disconnect, but I think that's what I love about Adobe. And I love that you get to be that person too, because I, I had been talking about this back earlier, probably in December or January. I kind of made note. I was like, ah, I don't really have a whole lot of women content creators in my life, like filmmakers and stuff. And don't get me wrong. I love all my guy friends, but it's just, it's different. And so when I have, I'm just surrounded by men in this industry, it's really different to have these conversations with women that are also like, yeah, I'm 24. I'm starting a photo biz business. I'm doing wedding photography, this or that. And that's what really excites me about seeing women like you in the position that you're in is that it's like, wow, look at these women go doing great things, but also that it's, it's just more relatable, you know? Yeah. You know, somebody just recently, you know, was asking me about like, what's my mission in my career, like where are my core values? And I realized that I had a very similar experience, even as a filmmaker, but also sort of early days when I came to Adobe is it was so male dominated. And, um, and I realized that 
I have worked really hard throughout my career here at Adobe to sort of become a voice of expertise within the, the video industry, but also to be a catalyst to sort of make sure that we're also highlighting diverse voices within our marketing. You know, when we host panels, when we have, uh, you know, customer profiles, when we do marketing activities that we're, that we're making sure that we're including female voices, that we're including people of color, that we're considering the importance of representation, even in, in our, you know, is something as sort of potentially superficial as marketing, but that like, we're putting that out there that like, there are all sorts of people, you know, colors, faces, um, you know, different uh, cultures around the world that are creating videos and that like, it really is a unifying story. And, uh, you know, in that we're even starting um, at Adobe to look at like, how are we engineering our products? How are we building tutorials? You know, there's a lot of research out there about how um, the different genders actually approach things differently from a research standpoint that like, that males are generally much more willing and interested to just jump in and start trying to figure things out where women really want to have uh, an understanding of the details and the instructions and sort of follow a path because there's more sort of concern about, oh, well, I don't want to, I don't want to break it or I don't want to mess it up. And, and we, and we're taking a step back and looking at like, how can we think about that as we're approaching, like how we do in-app tutorials or how we approach, you know, workflows within Premiere Pro, where we're really taking into consideration all the different types of people who might be using the software um, so it's not just about like, oh, there's, you know, we have this big team of male engineers. We don't, we have a bunch of female engineers as well, but that are, you know, just designing, you know, in a, in a very myopic way where we're looking at like, how do we think holistically about all the different types of people that are using our product? Um, another great thing that, you know, is happening on the Lightroom side is really thinking about how do we leverage color correction tools. And we're thinking about this on Premiere Pro too, taking into consideration skin tone and like how important it is when you're color correcting, you know, photos or videos that skin tone really changes depending on what race a person is and how you have to think about color correction um, from different perspectives, depending on what color, you know, what color the skin is that you're working with. Um, so I really am loving that part of my job, you know, Adobe, the sort of mantra for creative cloud is creativity for all. And it's just really permeating so much of the work that we're doing, especially not limited to, but especially within the last year, you know, with all of the uh, Black Lives Matter movements and the, you know, um, the uh, violence against Asian Americans and that we're yeah. really starting to try to think about like, what language are we using? What visuals are we using? What representation are we putting out there as a company that really mirror our values? Um, and it just makes me super proud to work for the company for that reason, that it really mirrors the values that I have as a person as well. Absolutely. And I think a huge thing too, is that Adobe is not just like a US company, but people use Adobe all over the world. And so you have a lot of people that are ESL, like English as a second language. And even in the Adobe Creator Camp and the Pro Camp, we have a lot of people that English is their second language. And so that's sometimes something in the like diversity that people don't necessarily think of because you're like, oh, okay, well, we have women, we have people of color, we have people of the LGBTQ community, but then thinking, oh, 
the ESL community is also really huge. And so things like speech to text and having tutorials and just having people that are on staff that might be bilingual or just those resources, I think is also huge because that's kind of one of those diverse gaps that oftentimes gets overlooked because it's like, oh, well, it's English. People that are using our products, like they speak English. It's like, well, (laughs) like we have to be more inclusive. And so that's something that Adobe does really well that I have picked up on. Yeah. Speech to text. I'm so glad you brought it up. That's one, that's a a feature set that I have been working on very, very intimately for the last almost two years. Um, And it's getting very close to being released. Um, but yeah, accessibility is a huge topic that we're talking about for the, for, you know, the, the value of, of speech to text and why it's, you know, when we talk to creators and especially people who are producing content for online, for social platforms, captions, like they increase the well, it's been proven through research that they increase engagement on your content because a huge percentage of people uh, watch videos on mute. But then there's this, you know, one in five people in the world have hearing loss or are deaf. So like the fact that like you aren't captioning every single video that you put out there, like that's 20% of the world's population that you're missing out on. And Mm -hmm. 20% of the population who can't be watching your videos if you aren't providing, you know, captions or subtitles on them um so but what we found when we were talking to creators is captions are just super time consuming to create it's like really labor intensive it takes so much time and so often like your livelihood depends on moving fast and pumping out content you know on a regular basis and so taking that time to listen through each piece and type out the captions for each just isn't feasible So yeah, we're super excited to bring speech to text to market because it just automates. It just, you you know, automatically create a transcription and then use that transcription to automatically create captions. Um, Yeah, we're super, super excited about it. It's huge. It's such a game changer, especially because with a country as big as the US, you have so many different accents too. And so- I'm from the Midwest. I have a pretty basic accent, except I, there's certain words like when I say Chicago, people are like, oh, <laughs> now I hear the accent. But I went to school in North Carolina. So like you get the South accent. And one of my best friends is from Scotland. And so I'll send her videos of people in the South talking. And she's like, is is this English? And she'll send me stuff of people um, in Scotland. And I'm like, is that English? So <laughs> subtitles just they add a whole new, they add a whole new level to it. Not just, even if you're not hard of hearing, but just being able to understand accents. And that is a huge inclusivity factor. Absolutely. I know watching British, any British television show with my husband, he's like, are you, I'm catching like 20% of this. My family is all in Ireland. So I have a little bit better ability to understand, but I'm like, yes, this is English. It is. I remember the first video that like I I I can picture this is the first video that I was like, man, I wish there were subtitles on. Like I can pinpoint what video <laughs> this was. And it was a son and a mom. And the son was probably in his like maybe 30s. And so the mom was maybe in her 60s. And they I don't know if they were from the UK or um, somewhere in that kind of region where English was their native language, but there's a thick accent. And he took this green stuff, 
that he thought was yogurt and dipped a chip into it and ate it. And his mom smacked it and said that was a face mask. Like it was, she was literally chilling a face mask because it was too hot. And the way that this whole thing, it's happening so quickly and with their thick accents, I was like, what is happening? What is he eating? Why is this green? Why did she hit it? And then finally, after watching it four times, I was like, oh, this is a face mask. I was like, this, oh, mm, okay. And then from then on, I was like, see, this is where, this is where uh, subtitles can be very helpful. I was very confused. That's hilarious. Oh my goodness. But so are, what are some, I guess, one thing that's really, a topic of interest for me that I love talking to people about because it really excites me is I like talking about people's dreams. I, I'm a big believer that if your dreams don't scare you, they're not big enough. And so kind of like pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. So I'd love to hear what are some big dreams with you in your life, whether they're with Adobe or if they're like professional or if there's something else, you could tell me that you want to go like sail around the world and I'd be like, oh, cool. But I would love to hear some big dreams that you have. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess the, the one that really stands out for me over the last year is, you know, early on in my life, I traveled a lot and, um, you know, I lived in Australia. I backpacked through Southeast Asia. I backpacked through Europe. I, and I traveled a bunch for making documentaries, obviously. Um, And when my husband and I decided to have kids, we said, you know, we're not going to stop. We're not going to stop doing the things that we love to do. Well, little did we know that a pandemic would happen. We weren't going to be able to. But that's my my big dream in sort of the short term is just getting back to traveling. Um, When my older son was 18 months old, we spent a month traveling through Europe, um, specifically to Italy, where my husband's family is, and Spain, where I um, studied abroad, as I mentioned earlier, and then to see family um, in Ireland. And it was so magical to travel with an 18-month-old because you see things and you experience things in such a different way through a watching your sort of child experience it, but also through other people experiencing your child, you know, like seeing your child in the way that people engage with you when you have children. Um, and I'm just really excited to start traveling with my kids. And the, the big uh, trip that we're talking about for next year is to go down to Costa Rica and Central, you know, some travel, do some travel within Central America um, for uh, probably like a month with our two boys. Um, in terms of like career trajectory, I feel like the I, I am loving doing more of the, of this kind of stuff, like being more of an evangelist for Adobe. I feel like I so, as I mentioned earlier, I, I feel so connected to the the root mission and and um, the the sort of what Adobe deems important. And I feel like having, to your point, having more sort of female representation and and um, being a voice for the company that really helps to demonstrate our values and talk to the community and, and show that like, I, I, it struck me earlier when you were saying like that they're, you know, important people. And then they're like the everyday creator. And I really try to think about that. that like there isn't really a difference there that like, I saw this really um, awesome clip of um, Trevor Noah 
talking to Arsenio Hall and Arsenio was like, yo, Trevor, like, when are you going to get back to the studio? Like, when are you going to shave the Afro and stop wearing a hoodie? And he was like, maybe I won't like, does a hoodie change the, the value of me as a person or the value of the things that I'm saying? Like, is it, is it important that I'm wearing a suit and tie in order for me to be taken seriously? And I think that those are important conversations that are coming out of what's happened over the last couple of years, uh, you know, with the pandemic, but also with all of these, these social and civil conversations that we're being forced to have is like, we really need to take a hard look at ourselves and, and our country and our world and, and really start thinking about like, what are we placing value on? And, you know, just because somebody's a celebrity doesn't mean they're any more important. Just because somebody's a CEO doesn't mean they're any more important on like a life values perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I just, I, I don't know, I don't know how to position it as like a dream, but I just hope that I can be more of a catalyst to that conversation. Cause I think it's a really important thing for people to be talking about. Absolutely. And I love that. And it's, I love that that's something that's so important on your heart. And I think, again, that's something that I really admire about Adobe is as, as I've been learning, cause I've, I've used Lightroom and stuff for a little bit, probably about two years now. And then I just started using Premiere Pro earlier this year. And now I'm just full in on everything Adobe, which is really exciting and clearly shows that I have so much more to learn and do, but it's nice to get to have conversations like this and connect with people and, and learn from them. But as I've been diving more into Adobe, like what I've seen of the mission statement on the website, it's that like shared experiences have the power to move the world forward. And it's just, it's so, it's so true. And that resonates with me so much. And so to hear that it's not just something on a website, but that Adobe is really embracing and saying, we want to connect the world both through video and through photo and through music and everything. And just like, it's, it's the big unit unity factor that I really, I really, really love. Oh, good. I'm glad that it's resonating for you. I mean, it's really makes me really proud is that it's not, as you say, just something on a website there. Also it's, it's conversations internally. It's, um, you know, priorities that we're setting as a company in terms of how we're we're creating the tools that we're creating. It's about, you know, how we're um, elevating conversations to really demonstrate diversity throughout our marketing campaigns, but also like, you know, what what policies do we have internally? How are we looking at hiring? How are we looking at development of products? How are we like really doing a teardown of all that the company is not just sort of, you know, the, the pithy things that we're putting on our website. Um, and it makes me, it makes it a really, um, great place to work. And it makes me really proud to be a part of the company. Yeah. And just that Adobe invest a lot of time and energy and finances into their like creatives, no matter what size. And that's how you and I are having this conversation is because I applied and was accepted to the Adobe Creator Camp, which I was kind of shocked about that I was <laughs> able to, to get accepted because then some of the people around me, I'm like, oh my goodness, these people are amazing. I'm like, why am I here? How how did I get a seat in this in this virtual Zoom room. And it was just really nice to be able to see Adobe believe in me and my mission as a small up and coming creator when there's people that are in these rooms that 
have been doing it way longer, have way more experience, but to have these opportunities and then like what we had talked about before we had started a little bit was that at the end of the creator camp that there was a pitch competition and whoever won the pitch competition would have the opportunity to work with Adobe for an Adobe sponsored video. And I had won the pitch, which is so amazing and exciting and shocking, but that's what what leads us here is that I've gotten the opportunity to do some work with Adobe and that video is coming out very soon, which is exciting coming out this month. (laughs) Yes. And it's just been really, really great getting to have an organization like Adobe say, yeah, we believe in you and your mission. And you may be at the very beginning of your journey, but we are here to support you. And that's something that has really, really meant a lot to me. And I've been able to see that in other people's lives too, which is very cool. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just want to mention too, that first of all, congratulations on winning the pitch. Thank you. That, that's <laughs> huge. And I know that there was um, a lot of amazing pitches that came through, but there's also this topic of sort of, validation and creativity that I think is really important to have, which is don't let failure or not, you know, necessarily being validated all the time deter you because, you know, it was really interesting earlier this year, um, I was interviewing one of the programmers from the Sundance Film Festival. And what she talked about was how every year they get thousands and thousands of submissions of films into the festival. And every year they can only choose, you know, like 250 or something. Mm -hmm. Um, But with every filmmaker that submits to the festival, they have a file. And every time they submit, they look at their growth and their development and how their storytelling sort of improves over time. Similarly, as people are, I mean, obviously a very much smaller scale, but with Creator Camp, like every application that we get for Creator Camp, we are looking at people's work and their development and how they're sort of growing. And it's not just like, oh yeah, you're, you didn't get in. Like we're throwing, you know, we forget your name and forget your handle. It's more like, oh, they're not, there's a number of people who have applied that we've said, you're not quite there yet, but like keep trying. There's also a number of people who maybe didn't, you know, win the pitch, but they are, you know, have a lot of potential and have a lot of interesting things to say. And so we are finding ways to work with them in different ways. And so uh, all of this is just to say that creativity is something that you really have to find belief in yourself and find people who are like-minded, find people who you believe are talented and, and collaborate or start building community and just don't let failure deter you right? Mm-hmm. Like as, as you're trying to work toward this goal, like you, you really have to think of each, each accomplishment as, as an accomplishment, but each failure is an accomplishment too, because it's helping you sort of hone your craft and, and, and get better at, at what you're doing. And, and maybe it's just that like the people that you were, you know, trying to, you know, get accepted by, maybe that's, those aren't your people. Maybe there's some other platform that's more appropriate for you or, you know, maybe you just need to keep working at your craft a little bit longer and, and then you'll find your time. So I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that, but I just wanted to like make sure. That no, I love see. it. I love it. It's such a, it's such a big thing because imposter syndrome sets in on everyone, no matter oh how gosh. successful you are. And it's, it's really important that like, if you're in the creative world, I think that just creating things that you genuinely like and want to create, that's, what's going to 
how that's what's going to get you get you really far is creating stuff that you like because you will find your people like you said the niches like you could think that no one else likes this kind of stuff but you'll you'll find your people and so it's just like doing what makes you happy and the the success the people the views they'll all come eventually totally and when you get feedback take it for what it is if you mm-hmm. get feedback and you're like, oh, that's interesting. Like maybe I should think about that, you know, changing that or finessing that a little bit. And if you get feedback and you're like, you know what, that just doesn't resonate with me, then just leave it. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to take everybody's advice and everybody's feedback as gospel. I think it's really important to, especially as you're building a voice as a, as a creator to really mm-hmm. start honing in on like, what is my voice? What do I want to say? What is important to me? And then let the the feedback and the and the comments sort of come in as waves that come in and go out and like take what's of value to you and leave what's not. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I think that I think that is great advice. And to to wrap up, I told you that I like to ask one question that to everyone, and I know we've kind of dived into it a little bit, but if you could travel to anywhere in the world. Time, money, distance, none of it mattered. Where would you go and why? This is a tough one. Um, Man, this is so tough. Um, I have, can I have two? Yes. (laughs) Um, So I would say that I would, I really want to go to Japan. Um, I'm just so fascinated by um, the culture, but I have a friend who recently went and just watching his IG stories come through. I was like, Oh my gosh. And the diversity of, of, um, environment, you know, like he was in the cities, he was in the mountains. He was, it just is like so beautiful and so sort of different from Western reality. Um, and then my second would be, um, Zimbabwe, my, my godfather, um, has done a lot of work, health work and, um, and community building in Zimbabwe. And I've always really wanted to go with him to, to visit. Uh, it's, I, I've have not been yet. It's on my bucket list. I have a friend from college that's from there and he's shown pictures. He speaks so highly of it. And I just, I have yet to go to the continent of Africa, uh, or South America. So those are two up on my list that I'm like, okay, gotta, gotta get there. Totally. Well, this has been such a huge pleasure and uh, it has been just such a, a great time getting to to chat with you and chat Adobe, chat dreams. And it's, it's really inspiring getting to see what you're doing and how you're moving forward in your life, but also bringing people along with you. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Charlotte. It was such a pleasure and it was really fun too. So thank you for asking me to, to be a part of this. A huge thank you again to Megan. That was just, that was so great. I love hearing about how her personal journey has led her to where she is now and that she continues to look back and see what she can do to move others forward along with her. And it's just so exciting to see what Adobe is doing and... Like we talked about, my video with Adobe is coming out very, very soon, coming out in about 
a week and a half. So I'm so excited. And again, a big thank you to Adobe for just investing in their creatives and having conversations like this. It's really it's really exciting when big brands make sure they're still connected to the people. So thank you to Adobe. Thank you to Megan. And we will see you all here again very soon.